Hi, I'm Taylor Burgess, lead pastor of Cross Community, and I want to welcome you to worship with Cross Community Church Online. Uh, really glad that you've chosen to join in with us today, and there's several things that we want to be able to highlight as we begin our time together this weekend. Uh, first, if you're watching this on Facebook, there's several resources that we've linked to this video so that we can better serve and assist you and stay in communication with you. The first thing we've linked is our online Next Steps card. This is important because it's the number one way we stay connected to our church family. So if you have prayer requests or you have uh, any interest in getting more connected at Cross Community, just fill out that Next Steps card. Our staff will follow up with you throughout the course of the week. We've also linked a COVID-19 impact form. If you or your family have been negatively or adversely impacted by COVID-19 in any way, uh, we're here and ready to serve you. So if you'll take just a moment, uh, share the details of your circumstances with us. And again, our staff will follow up with you throughout the course of the week, and we'll do everything that we can to come alongside you and help. Uh, to this video, we've also linked resources for kids ministry and student ministry. So make sure you check out our Cross Kids Facebook page and website to be able to find uh, resources for family worship from home for kids from pre-K to elementary age. And also our student ministry page is linked here so that you can learn how to get connected as a sixth through 12th grade student with either middle school or high school Zoom calls as our student ministry meets online throughout COVID-19. The last thing we've linked is online giving. We are incredibly grateful for your continued faithful generosity uh, as a church family. We're gonna share some wins about that today at the end of our service time together. Um, but thank you so much for how you've continued to faithfully give through this season so that we can meet the needs of our church family, of our community, and continue forward in our mission to preach the gospel and make disciples. We're so glad to have you joining in with us this weekend. We look forward to worshiping with you today. Hey guys, thank you for joining us uh, for worship today, wherever you are. Uh, before we get started, uh, we're going to turn uh, to the Word. We're going to turn to Psalm 66. And if you would read this with me. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships. We come before you today, uh, humbled by your greatness, and I pray that all that we do today would just be to glorify your name. It's not about us, it's not about our church, but it is all about you, and we celebrate and worship you for the great things that you have done for us, uh, the least of which is not sending your son uh, to die in our place, uh, a sinner's death us righteous, that we can lift our hands to you, uh, blameless before you in worship. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Peace. 
above it all hallelujah god unshakable hallelujah you have done great things
for you wherever you're at uh, whether you're at home with your family with some friends maybe uh, maybe you're at work just pull out your Bible or your device wherever you can read scripture and open to John 8 12 and just for a moment read that scripture and then pray to God expectingly that he is going to speak to you uh, during this time that we enter into the teaching of his word If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 8 if you're not there already. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, last week we began a new message series called I Am. Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes a revolutionary claim about who he is, and each one of these claims has extraordinary implications for our lives. So last week we saw that Jesus is the bread of life who has come to satisfy the eternal hunger of our souls. And today we're gonna see that Jesus is the light of the world who has overcome the darkness of sin. And just the same way last week in John chapter six, we saw that there was the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 to set up his statement that he was the bread of life. We see in the same way today in John chapter eight, a story where Jesus shines light into a dark situation before he makes the claim that he's the light of the world. When we get to John chapter eight, there's a visceral story that, that occurs. There's a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, come dragging her before Jesus. They bring her before Jesus and they say to him, our law says that she should be put to death because of this, what do you say? And Jesus, instead of answering their question, uh, simply stoops down and he begins writing in the ground. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus was writing. Many have speculated that maybe Jesus was writing out a passage of scripture. Some have speculated that maybe he was writing out the sins of her accusers. Others have speculated that maybe even the man who was committing adultery with her was standing among them, that he was writing his name in the ground. We don't know what Jesus wrote in the ground, but what he did do was stand up and he simply said to her accusers, let those of you without sin be the first to cast a stone. And then one by one, each of these accusers walks away. So Jesus then stoops down, he, he stands up, he, he has a conversation with the woman. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And sometimes when I look across the religious landscape of our culture, I wonder within my own life, sometimes within our own church and with Christians at large, are we standing on the right side of the line that Jesus drew in the sand? When someone falls and when someone's hurting and someone's in pain and someone's in brokenness, are we among those who step down to pick up sinners or are we among those who pick up stones to cast for their death? What we see here in John chapter eight is that the light of the gospel is not just intended to expose sin. 
And sometimes I think what, what we can get caught up doing as followers of Jesus, we can be so focused on highlighting what's wrong. We can be so focused on highlighting people's failures and their flaws and the mistakes that they've made. But the light of the gospel is not just intended to shine on sin. The light of the gospel is intended to shine on our Savior. Jesus says in John 8, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As followers of Jesus, is his light shining through us or is it being suppressed by us? We're going to see here today in John chapter 8 that Jesus is the light of the world who has overcome the darkness of sin. And he's inviting us as his followers to participate in the work that he's been doing since the dawn of creation, which is to be a light that's shining into the darkness. So John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's what Jesus promises in John 8 to those who follow light. First, he shows us that the light will show us freedom. The light will lead to freedom. I am the light of the world. All throughout scripture, we see light frequently associated with freedom and life. And we see dark frequently associated with bondage and death. There's a, a good example of this in Psalm 107 verses 10 through 15. The psalmist writes, psalmist writes, some sat in darkness and the shadow of death, uh, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Darkness represents bondage. Darkness represents prison and light represents freedom and hope and life. Jesus himself was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that the light would shine in the darkness. This is what Isaiah had prophesied centuries before. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And this is why Christ promises in John 8, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. About 10 years ago, uh, just a few weeks before Emily and I got married, um, her grandmother passed away. And so we traveled to Minnesota to uh, be with her family. And um, her grandparents had this incredible farm in Hutchinson, Minnesota. And they live in this, think just early to mid 19th century farmhouse. And um, there's not a whole lot of space. Man, we'd pack like 15, 20 people in here. And so um, it was a great rite of passage into the family that I had the distinguished honor of sleeping on what is known at this house as the hall bed. Now, personally, I think this is the best bed in the whole house. I think it's the most comfortable place to sleep. But as you go up the stairs, it's a it's a really low uh, roof as you walk in and directly at the top of the stairs, uh, there's like a little cave. I mean, it's a cut out of the wall. There's two walls on each side. And right where the back wall meets the angle of the roof, there's a bed that's in there. And there's no door, it's not a room, there's just a little sheet, like a curtain that you pull shut, and that's, that's kind of your privacy. And uh, there's, there's this memory foam mattress, and I would turn on the fan that was like white noise, and it was some of the best sleep I've ever had in my life. But one of the negatives of the hall bed that I was not quite aware of is that when you go to sleep at night, you can't see anything. So you close all the doors of the rest of the rooms. And so one uh, night, I think the second or third night we were there, I woke up and I needed to use uh, the restroom. And I, I couldn't find my phone. I, I was reaching for it around. I couldn't find it and have any light. And when I tell you that it was so dark, I literally couldn't see my hand in front of my face. I could not see my hand in front of my face. And you're gonna make fun of me and you're gonna think this is crazy, but I had a moment where I panicked and I was legitimately concerned that I had gone blind. And so I'm, I'm laying in this bed and I'm, I'm like trying to see my hand. I can't see anything. And I, I slowly just pull this curtain back and, and I'm just kind of reaching out for anything. I, I still cannot see anything. All the doors in the hallway are shut. There's, there's no light to be getting through. And I, I roughly knew where the bathroom was. And when, again, when I say bathroom, farmhouse, this is more like a water closet for those of you who know what I'm talking about, like little four by four foot space with a toilet in the floor. And so I, I vaguely knew where it was, about 10 feet away from this bed. And it felt like it took an eternity to get there. I couldn't see anything. I'm panicking, maybe thinking that I've gone blind, that it's so dark. I finally feel the bathroom door, it creeps open, and then I, I step into this little water closet, move quickly, I accidentally slam my head against the roof, and I'm feeling around on the ceiling. I finally find the light bulb, pull the string, and the light comes on. And you can believe in my little quiet way I celebrated that I had not gone blind. It was a great relief. 
The moment the light came on, I felt free because this is what darkness does. Darkness is restrictive and it's oppressive. It dulls our senses, it limits our movement, and it distorts our vision. But when we find the light, we find freedom. We find life and we can move again. I just wonder, do you know the freedom of life in Jesus? Are you still sitting in the bondage of your sin? Have you stepped into the light that Christ has shined? Are you still sitting in the oppression of the sins that befall you? When we step into the light of who he is, we find freedom from the bondage of who we've been. It goes on to say in verse 13, the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So Jesus says that he's the light of the world and the Pharisees call him a liar. They were so darkened by their own religious pride that they had become blind to the very light of the world and they accused him of false testimony. Jesus goes on in verses 14 through 16, he answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Because in his first coming, Jesus had not come as a just judge the way he'll do in his second coming. He had come as a savior. He says, I judge no one. He says, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. So Jesus is, is just showing him, listen, you don't understand me. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know where I'm going. You're judging according to the flesh. That is, you're judging according to human standards. I'm judging no one. Verse 17 through 18, he goes on to say, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. So Jesus is saying, you might not believe my testimony about myself, but I'm not the only witness. The other witness is the God that you worship and he's my father who's in heaven. There's another who testifies for me and it's the father who sent me. So they said to him, therefore, verse 19, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know, neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So the light will lead to freedom. And second, the light will lead to the father. It's the work of the enemy to distort the light of the gospel so that we cannot see the Father. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is the work of the enemy to distort the word of God so that the light of the gospel can't be seen. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And this is the work of the enemy. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The work of our enemy 24-7 is to keep our eyes off of the Father. He wants our eyes off of the Father and his most sinister tactic in doing this is by keeping our eyes focused on our proud religious selves. This is what's happening here in John chapter eight, that this group of people was so busy with their flurry of religious activity that they had become blinded to the light of the glory of God. Jesus was standing right in front of them. And when it comes to measuring spiritual maturity, unfortunately, sometimes we use all of the wrong metrics. We ask people, well, how often do you read your Bible and how long do you pray and how much and how often do you give and where are you serving and how are you leading? And it's not that these can't be markers of growth in Christ, but the most important metric in measuring our faithfulness is not what we're doing. It's simply, do you know Jesus and do you believe who he has said that he is? Every person standing here among the religious elite, they were doing all of these things. They knew the word. They prayed, they fasted, they gave. They were doing all of the, the things they needed to do to get the gold stars on the religious chore chart, but they're gonna go to hell because they miss Jesus. It's not enough to do the right things. We have to know who Jesus is. To know him is to know the Father. This is what Jesus says to Philip in John 14, 9. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The enemy wants you stumbling in the darkness, confused about who God is, grasping for something to hold, but coming up empty handing. But you and I, because Jesus is the light of the world, do not have to continue stumbling in the darkness of uncertainty because Jesus is the light of the world who has come to reveal the Father. It's pretty simple. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. 
He's come to reveal his father to be the light of the world. Verses 20 through 27. He says, he spoke these words in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. The father had not yet given him over to go to the cross. It was not yet his time for his death, but Jesus is gonna direct their attention to the time when that would come. This is what happens in verses 21 through 27. He said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. It's a dire warning from Jesus to those listening that he had already given them in John chapter seven, where I am going, you cannot come. They don't understand this. Says the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So in these verses, multiple times, Jesus gives them this very dire warning. If they will not believe who he is and they will not turn from their sins, those who oppose him will not go into eternity with him. Jesus is going to the Father and his opponents cannot go with him. Verse 21, where I am going, you cannot come. And they still don't get it. They think he's crazy. They don't understand what he means about going somewhere that they can't go. And they're like, man, is, is this guy going to kill himself? Where, where's he going that we can't go with him? And so Jesus just lays out the difference between himself and the crowd. He says, you're from below, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. And this is the dialogue that Jesus had had earlier in the Gospel of John with Nicodemus in John 3. He says, unless you are born again from above, that he would not see eternal life. And Jesus reiterates, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This actually better translates, unless you believe that I am. This is what Jesus is saying to the crowd that's listening those who have been waiting for their Messiah, those who should have seen him and those who should have recognized him more than anyone else, he's saying, the only way to be saved from your sins is to believe that I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To believe that I am the God who has given you this word that you so claim to love. To believe that I am the God that your prayers are going to. To believe that I am the God who has worked miracles and wonders. To believe that I am the God who is celebrated at your feast. To believe that I am the God that's worshiped in your tabernacles. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So this crowd hears this in verse 25. And they just ask, who, who are you? Who are you? And Jesus said, I'm, I'm trying to tell you who I am that they couldn't see who he was, that what Jesus is claiming here, it's just, it's all too much for them to take in. And the enemy has kept the blinders of spiritual performance and pride over their eyes so that they can't see the light of the world. But there is a way that Jesus is ultimately gonna reveal his identity to them. But it's not gonna come from debating them here in the court. It was gonna come through his death on the cross. And he turns their eyes towards that moment in verse 28. Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. And watch what happens. As He was saying these things, as He turned their eyes forward to the cross, many believed in Him. The light will lead to freedom. The light will lead to the Father. And third, the light will lead to faith. This phrase, son of man, was a well-known phrase to the Jewish people that's drawn from the book of Daniel. And it foretold one who would come both as human and divine and would have everlasting rule and dominion, which was the common expectation among the Jewish people for their Messiah. But then he says that the son of man would be high and lifted up. 
This is drawn from Isaiah 52, which foretold one who would come as a suffering servant, who would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Three times in the Gospel of John, we find these words high and lifted up, and every single time we see them, it's a double meaning that refers both to Christ being lifted up on the cross and being risen from the grave. So by combining these two statements, the Son of Man, who would be high and lifted up, he's, he's bringing some new meaning and shedding some new light on what they should be expecting for their Messiah. So Jesus is is showing them, yes, I am the one who will come and have everlasting dominion. But what he's revealing to them in this moment is that his path to the crown would run through the cross, that he would be the suffering servant who is pierced for their transgressions and crushed for their iniquities. It would be through his death that ultimately he would have final authority and rule and dominion and domain over all things. One day, all the uncertainty about who he was was going to be removed. And it was going to be removed through the cross. The cross is the place where once and for all the darkness was overcome and all uncertainty about who God is and how he loves was removed through the cross. If you want to know who the Father is, then look at the Son. And if you want to know how much the Father loves you, look at the cross. It's the absolute measure of God's love for his people. The darkness doesn't want you to see the cross. The darkness wants you to be blind to the cross. The darkness doesn't want you to be free. It wants you to live in the guilt and shame and bondage of your past. It wants you to believe that you have to serve a spiritual life sentence for your sins. It wants you to to believe that what you have going on is just, it's too heavy and it's too much for God to forgive. The darkness wants to make you blind to the Father. It wants you to believe that you're a slave and not a son or a daughter. It wants you to believe that God, like a lot of earthly fathers, is someone who might love you because he has to, but is mostly disappointed in you because of your mistakes. That's what the darkness wants you to believe. The darkness doesn't want you to have faith. It wants to convince you that your doubts and your questions are too big for God. That you're not a true believer because you have frustrations and because you have concerns. You know, the, the aim of this series is very simple. It's just to listen to who Jesus is in his own words. And I just have to believe that someone listening today needs to hear that you can find freedom from your sins. And that your father is not ashamed or embarrassed of you because you've fallen and that your doubts don't disqualify you from being a true believer. The light of the hope of the gospel means that we can come before the Father in complete, total, vulnerable, naked honesty, and we can lay the worst of the worst of our sins at his feet, and he will not even begin to flinch in his love for you. And that's the hope that we get to rest in. 1 John 1, 9, John goes on to write later on, says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Listen to this promise. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And here's the miracle of grace. Here's what happens as we begin to walk in the light with him is eventually he shines his light through us. This is what Jesus teaches his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 14. He's now turned the table. He says to them, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Are we as followers of Christ, are we as a church, are we as a people of God, are we shining his light, are we suppressing his light? Are we among those who in the darkness of global pandemics and in the darkness of racial injustice and in the darkness of of the brokenness of our world and every broken situation that surrounds, are we people who are shining light into the darkness? Are we people who are participating in the darkness? Are we standing on the right side of the line that Jesus has drawn in the sand? Are we picking up sinners? Are we picking up rocks? 
Jesus has come to be our advocate, the son of man who would be high and lifted up, who would be crushed for our sins, pierced for our transgression, broken for our iniquities, who would go to the cross that you and I deserved so that we could see the full measure of the love of the Father. And listen, so many of you are are, are watching this today, you're listening to this today, and your lights might be on in our house, but if you're being honest with yourself, you're sitting in the darkness. And today, God is calling you to step out of the darkness and into his light, to step out in the darkness of your sin, to confess your sin before him, to confess it to a fellow brother or sister, a close trusted friend, and to to lay before God what he already knows to be true, that the only way to get the demons out of the closet is to open the door. And we've been promised that if we will confess our sins, if we chase our demons into the light, that that's where we're going to find Jesus. You do not have to live in the bondage and guilt of your mistakes and your shame. He's calling you to walk with him in the light. Some of you, man, you've got doubts and you've got questions and you've got concerns about God. You see the ugliness and the brokenness of our world and you don't know what to do with it. You're wondering if God's there and you're wondering if he's listening. And listen, go read the Psalms. You can tell him that. You can lay that before him and see him respond and your faith will be strengthened as you bring your doubts and your concerns and your frustrations to the Lord. But most of us today, I think we just need to come back to the place where once again, we see the Father. We're not gonna be like the proud son in the story of the prodigal son who hides behind our flurry of religious activities. Because oftentimes, one one of the things that, that gets in our way of following Jesus more than anything else is our following Jesus. We're so focused on how we're following him and what we're doing to follow him that we're missing that it's him. And so what we need to do today, many of us, is to lay down our religious pursuit of the Father and see the picture of the Father who has pursued us through the death of his son, Jesus. He invites us into relationship with him. When Jesus calls us to be light, he is calling us to participate in the work that God has been doing since the dawn of creation, which is to shine light in the darkness. We can confess our sin and run to the Father, bring our weakness to him and find strength for our faith. So no matter your your sin or your guilt or your shame, today Jesus is inviting you to walk in the light out of the darkness of our prison and into his everlasting love. So Father, we praise you and we thank you so much that you've sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be the light of the world, to shine light into the darkness and the broken spaces of our lives. So Father, right now, would we be honest before you? Lord, whatever darkness is in our hearts, Lord, whatever darkness has us trapped, whatever darkness has us feeling like we simply can't escape, Would we turn our eyes to the cross? Father, would you bind the enemy away from us? Lord, will we not hide behind religious activity? Lord, will you take the blinders off of our eyes so that we can simply see you? Lord, don't let our pursuit of you be about what we're doing for ourselves. Let it be about what you've done for us and help us to see that it's been you pursuing us all along. So will you draw us close to you? Will you help us today to walk away free from the bondage of our guilt and our shame and our sin? Honest with you about our doubts, honest with you about our questions, honest with you about our concerns, Lord, help us to see the Father. So listen, wherever you are today, wherever you're watching this from, whatever it is you're going through right now, I just wanna encourage you as you're sitting there right now, what, what is holding you down? What prison are you sitting in right now? Is it guilt and shame for the mistakes of your past? Is it a relationship that's falling apart right now? Is it an addiction that just has its, has its grips around you, something you feel like you can't escape? Maybe you're sitting in the prison of religion right now. And man, you're trying to follow Jesus and you think you're following Jesus, but you're miserable because it's not about what he's done for you, it's about what you're doing for him. You're missing his love for you. Today, the invitation for you is to step out of your prison, to step out of the darkness and to step in to the light. Maybe today you just need to take that before the Lord and where you need to take it to a trusted friend, to take it to your, your community group, a small group as you meet this week. 
What prison are you sitting in right now? There's freedom to be found in Jesus. What doubts and questions do you have? Maybe what you need to do today is, is to find a quiet place and just get on your knees before the Lord and just tell Him what's on your heart. Tell Him what hurts. Tell Him what you don't understand. And you'll find that He's with you. He's not offended by your questions. He wants to meet you where you are, to strengthen your faith and to lift you up. And maybe today you just need to see the Father. You think that God loves you, but you also think he's mostly just disappointed in you. Because of Christ, nothing could be less true. Because of what we've been given in Jesus, you have once and for all, always, continually, and irrevocably received the approval of your Father. He loves you. He's not gonna leave you or forsake you. He's never gonna let you go. So Father, today, help us to step into the light. Help us to see you for who you are through your son, Jesus Christ. To bring our doubts, to bring our fears, to bring our sin, to lay it at your feet, to find healing and life and freedom in your name. Be glorified as we sing to you. Help us to walk in your light as we go today. It's in your name we pray.
Thanks so much for joining us online again this weekend. We, we miss so much seeing you in person, but grateful that we still have the opportunity uh, to connect with you in this way. Um, don't forget as you uh, finish things up today, if you're watching on Facebook, all the resources that we talked about during the welcome are linked to the top of this post. Um, if you're watching this at a different time on Vimeo, all the resources we talked about in the welcome are available on our website. Uh, that's crosscommunity.org. Um, this past week, we have uh, started spreading out a lot of our online content throughout the course of the week. We know that uh, even when we begin to regather, there's going to be many who are not going to be able to be with us in person. So uh, we've started delivering uh, different pieces of content uh, multiple nights a week. So uh, this year as a church family, we've been working through a resource called the New City Catechism that's been a part of our worship gatherings, but we're now bringing that to you as a Tuesday night devotional. So uh, for the rest of the year, you're going to hear from uh, different staff members, different lay leaders in our church who will uh, share those, those time profound truths, and then also be sharing uh, devotional reflections each week on those truths. Uh, then uh, this uh, started this past week as well, Thursday night's new uh, teaching series uh, called Rhythms of Grace. We're going to spend about 10, 12 weeks uh, teaching through the spiritual disciplines, things like praying, uh, fasting, reading our Bibles, serving. We're going to spend a few minutes each week on each one. Those are 15 to 20 minute sessions. The first one released um, just a couple of days ago. Um, student ministry. Uh, Cole Forrest is our student minister who has uh, moved here over the last couple of weeks. Finally, he's here in person. And if you missed it earlier this week, we recorded uh, about an 11 minute interview with Cole just so you can get to know him a little bit more, hear about his heart and vision and direction for student ministry. If you missed that this week, it's available on our Facebook page. You can also find that on Vimeo as well. And uh, speaking of student ministry, our uh, students are still all systems go right now for camp uh, during the month of July, hopefully. We are still hoping that that works out for them. Uh, we have a full camp trip. As a matter of fact, Cole actually had to add some slots this week of having more kids uh, who want to go this summer. So uh, this Sunday, this weekend, uh, whenever you're watching this, uh, historically as a church family, we have one weekend where we give a percentage of our offer to go towards camp scholarships, and that is this weekend. So uh, what you give this weekend, 20% of that, is gonna to go to camp scholarship. It's always our desire uh, to make sure that every student have the opportunity to go to camp regardless of their financial circumstances. We have never uh, in our history as a church had to turn away a student for camp uh, because of money. And so thank you so much for your faithful generosity and your giving. Uh, that's gonna make it possible for a number of our students to attend camp uh, this summer. Um, questions are, are continuing to come up and we're beginning to address them uh, concerning regathering. Uh, we very much, like many of you, were eager to be back together in person. So um, we've been in close, uh, correspondence with the YMCA, met with them this past week. The YMCA will be opening uh, in a modified capacity on the 18th, uh, but still not open enough for us to continue worship gatherings on the weekend. So uh, for the time being, we'll continue moving online, but as the YMCA moves into subsequent phases, uh, that will reopen the door uh, for us to begin gathering in person. You'll hear about all those details um, as they come. Uh, this past week, we put out a regathering survey online. The vast majority of you have already responded to this. We're going to leave it for a couple of more days. So that went out in my top five email uh, on Friday, and then it's also available here on our Facebook page as well. If you've not filled that out, uh, we encourage you or someone in your family to fill that out because it's very helpful for us as we're making those plans. Uh, and then uh, finally, we just want you to know uh, that we love you and we miss you. And we, I mean, we really, really miss you. And it's been uh, so good to be out and about in the community and to see some of you face to face for the first time in uh, a while. But we uh, we just covet your prayers as we continue to, to navigate this season. We're continuing 
continuing to pray for you. But thanks so much for joining in for worship with us this weekend. Let's say together our banner verse from Psalm 45, 17, and then we'll sing together as we close. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Guys, we love you so much, and we'll see you again next week.